your work life, all of our work lives. Welcome to Work with Marty Nemco. Later in the show, as promised in the promos for the week, 14 or 15 contrarian career ideas, not the same old, same old. But I've been listening to commencement speeches. This is the time of year, and I don't think there's ever any words that are uttered that are deemed more important by the speaker or perhaps the people on the dais and maybe the parents in the audience and less important by the students who just think of it as a bunch of blah, 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 high, high and mighty talk that is out of touch with reality. And all they really want to do is get it over with so they can get their diploma and go out and party or at least go out to eat. So I did a little meditating on what if I gave a really honest commencement speech. And I actually wrote out one for a typical college, not, not Harvard, not Stanford. And then as I was driving in to the studio today... Um, I thought, you know, but that's, I thought it would be fun to come up with one that was, if I was giving the commencement speech at Harvard. So I'm going to give two commencement, the, that, that one on Harvard or Stanford just is going to be pretty much off the top of my head. But the one for a typical college, I'm going to deliver now, and you tell me, I'm going to invite you to call in and tell me if you are glad, if you were in the audience, do you think this would be worthy career-related advice for the typical, I'm calling it, Southwestern State University at Mudville campus. I now shall begin. Even at a 98.6 college, where all you need to graduate is normal body temperature, the commencement speaker typically tells the students to dream big. That has always been disingenuous, not quite honest because many of those graduates were lucky to get and hold a mundane job, for example, marketing coordinator or school teacher or construction supervisor. Dream big is even more disingenuous today. Solid, well-paying careers are ever rarer thanks to automation, offshoring, and ratcheted-up requirements, technical, interpersonal, and general intelligence. Many, if not most, graduates of Southwestern State University at Mudville will for lack of ability or drive, end up in a cycle of a few-month lackluster gig followed by a few months of desultory looking, that is, casual looking, followed by another lackluster gig. That actually, what I've just done here is my introduction to what the speech would be, and now I will give you the actual speech. It's going to be really short. It can't have been easy to make it to graduation, even with grade inflation, so congratulations truly are in order. But while I could fill the rest of this talk with puff-you-up talk, I believe I can serve you better with straight talk. Yes, some of you will be able to follow the standard commencement speech exhortations. Dream big. Be big. If you work hard, you can do anything. Go forth and conquer. But fact is, in the world you're inheriting, especially over your work span, even Ivy League graduates aren't assured of making a difference or even of making a good living. You see, automation, offshoring, the gig economy, and the ever more demanding required abilities for jobs means that many, if not most of you, won't be able to count on making good money. That's the bad news. The good news? Even many rich and influential make-a-difference people are unhappy. Witness all the drug addiction and suicides among performers. Happiness lies largely from within. 
Both my parents were Holocaust survivors. Yet my mom, cheery by nature, remained that way throughout her entire life. Lots of singing, dancing, and partying. My dad, serious, a worrier by nature, like me, was that way throughout his life. So, if you're a reasonably happy person, even if you don't make much money, you'll probably be okay. And if you're a sad, worry-filled person, I believe your best shot is to seek contentment, not so much through career, but through some combination of relationships, creative outlet, and recreation. Plus, recognizing that all work, from being a ditch digger on up, is worthy work. As crazy as it may sound, unless you're quite a star, you'd be wise to take whatever job drops in your lap. It's probably as good a launch pad for your career as any, and you won't be spending months or years searching for a perfect fit job that probably doesn't exist or that isn't realistic. You see, jobs usually don't drop into people's laps at random. You've probably been offered that job by a friend, a relative, who, relative whomever, because they think you'll be good at it. As long as you treat that job as a launch pad and not a dead end, you'll probably be okay. Take that ditch digger example. If in between digging ditches, you talked with the funeral director, the landscape manager, the monument maker, and asked for advice, even asked for a better job, you might well get one. And then, if you make the effort to become expert at whatever that job is, for example, buying, selling, and customizing gravestones, you could well find yourself feeling good about your career and maybe even doing well financially because very few graduates aspire to such a career. I recall being a student at graduation and wishing the speaker would shut up already so I could go out and eat. So I'll just summarize. Remember that most people are wise to seek contentment, not so much by following their passion or seeking big money, but by making the most of what comes relatively easily to them, relatively natural to them, and finding additional happiness in good relationships and a fun hobby. And with that, I really do wish you all the best. Congratulations, class of 2019. So, what do you think? If you were in the audience listening to that commencement address, would you say, boy, is that guy a downer, a Debbie Downer? Or, wow, that was useful straight talk. What are your thoughts and reactions to that as a commencement speech, launching people who are new graduates from not Harvard or Stanford, but from your typical could be community college, could be your easy-to-get-into four-year college, which is unfortunately now more like a six-year college. What do you think? The phone number here at Work With Marty Nemco and KALW, 415-841-4134. That's 415-841-4134. And now, as promised, um, as I was driving in, as I said, I said, you know, it would be fun to come up with a commencement speech if I were talking in the commencement speaker at Harvard or Stanford or Berkeley. And so... I've come up with one, but I always like to prioritize you. So before I, um, I haven't written it. I just have a couple of, you know, maybe eight words here to give me a, a little guidance. But first, I'd like to always prioritize you, my dear listeners. So let's go to the phones. Welcome to Work with Marty Nemco. It's your turn on the air. What's your reaction to my commencement speech? Well, I'm driving home and I'm listening to your speech and I like it. Okay. Because I am also a firm believer of um, not everybody can, you know, crawl up the company ladder and frankly... Stress creates illness, mm -hmm. unhappiness. Yes. And as a person personally who has genetic illness in my family, mm. 
I decided many, many years ago that I would never put myself in a position to be that stressed out. And as long as I made enough money to pay my bills, put some aside for um, retirement and have one good vacation a year, everything's cool. And I've also and found that, that people, the same job that could be stressful for one person could be easy for another. My wife is the superintendent of schools of Napa County. Her life is filled with conflict. She's you know, arguing with the unions or with, the, or with a parent or with principals or the government or regulations. But she is calm by nature. So it gives, she's not stressed out at all. But if I were in that job, I'd be stressed to the moon. So what the key, one of the keys to reducing stress is finding the job where you're a natural good fit. Does that make sense? Exactly. Anyway. And I, myself, I manage a medical practice, and mm. I like helping people. Cool. So I'm good at what I do. Great. I, but, uh, you know, it's all about finding what makes you happy and not being you don't need to have everything people i've already decided that when i grow old it's going to be about what i did not what i had i couldn't agree more i swear to you i I was fortunate enough to grow up when housing was cheap but if i were growing up now i'd probably live with my parents or in a crappy little like basement apartment in some decent neighborhood that like that i got under market (laughs) and i would be totally not materialistic i'd have you know three pair of shoes and four cheap shirts and drive my old toyota and, exactly. And, and make my happiness through the quality of my work, the quality of my relationships, and then my creative outlets. Exactly. I actually, I've owned a, my husband and I have owned our house for 20 years, and I still have a 1946 kitchen. And uh, I don't care. There you because go. Because in those 20 years, I've had 22 foreign vacations. You and, I, <laughs> you and I are kindred spirits. I thank you so much for calling work with Marty Nemco. Thank you very much for the speech. You bet. Goodbye. Oh, good. Well, okay, so now I'm going to try another one. So now I'm pretending, and it'll never happen, but that I was honored to be, asked to be the commencement speaker at a Harvard, a Stanford, a Yale, Princeton, whatever. And um, and these were, and forgive me for, it's probably not going to be as coherent as the previous one because these are just, a, I just wrote down about eight words and, uh, and uh, to guide me through here. So... Uh, first of all, I would start by saying, uh, indeed, thank you very much for the privilege of of being a uh, of asked to speak here. You're going to hate me because I'm going to be giving you some tough love here. It is my judgment that many of you who are already lined up for careers in money making, bond trading, investment banking, management consulting, when you haven't even been a manager, they're going to make you a management consultant. You are shirking your responsibility to tackle the big problems. You have been, to use the current word, privileged by your genetics, by your parents, by your upbringing, by your neighborhood, and by having gone to Harvard to have all that you, if anybody in the world can tackle the big problems and thereby help humankind, it's you. So whether it's to try to cure cancer or... May, we all know that government at its best serves a useful function, but we, you know, no matter how much we try, we always hear about waste, fraud, and abuse, waste, fraud, and abuse. They've been saying it for decades. But there's got to be a solution to a more efficient government. You, Harvard graduate, have what it takes to make a contribution to that. Or you have what it takes to deal with the fact that there are going to be ever fewer good jobs how are you going to create more good jobs? Or are you going to create a society, what I call a non-growth economy, where people will find their contentment outside of work? Or you might want to tackle the achievement gap. We have spent $19 trillion in the last century, and the achievement gap is as wide as ever. 
We need you, Harvard graduates, to tackle how to everything from how to close the achievement gap through education to gene therapy. All of the mobility. You know, it takes me an hour, over an hour to get here, for the 11 miles from my home in Oakland to San Francisco. That's untenable. And yet, mass transit would have taken me forever to get to mass transit, find parking, take BART, then get Uber, or if I'm politically correct, a, you know, a taxi cab. would cost me a fortune. We need to have solutions to mobility, getting around. You Harvard graduates are those who have the, the, the privilege, the intellectual chops, the education, the parenting, etc., to do it. Don't be a bond trader. Climate change. Altruism. So many people mouth words about being altruistic, but in the end they're selfish as hell. How can we, through our education system, through public messaging, how can we create a more altruistic culture? You, Harvard graduates, have what it takes. So stop with the money grabbing because there's a hell of a lot of rich people who are miserable, unhappy, and on their deathbed saying, is that all I did? Yeah, I have 4,000 square feet in a Tony neighborhood. Yeah, I drive a, a, be- a Beamer. Yeah, I've got, my, uh, my, I've got jewelry. But you are a Harvard graduate. So your tough love graduation speaker is telling you, pick something big, tackle the big stuff, even if it's going to make you less money, you will feel better about your life. And with that tough love now over, you really, it, it ain't easy to get into Harvard, and it's probably not that easy to get out. Go forth, and as they say, and I hate the risk of being a cliched commencement speaker, do big things. So that would be my uh, commencement speech if I were fortunate enough, and again, I would keep it real brief. Nobody wants long speeches. Uh, if I were the uh, commencement speaker at a Harvard or Stanford or Yale, Princeton, whatever, that's what I'd give. What do you think of that? You can, you know, if you could tell me, oh, that's, you're being way too tough. You're supposed to be upbeat and positive or whatever. You're being too work-centric. What do you think of that work-related commencement speech? Either the one I would give to what I'm calling Southwestern State University at Mudville, which I gave a few minutes ago at the top of the show, or this mock commencement speech that I would give if I were giving the commencement speech to Harvard or Stanford. The phone number here, work with Marty and Emko and KALW, 415-841-4134. That's 415-841-4134. Let's go to the phones. Welcome to the show. It's your turn on the air. Uh, What's your reaction to either of my speeches? Marty, am I on the air? You are. Oh, cool. I can't tell because I turned my phone off. Yeah. Hey, Marty, I'm a psychotherapist, uh-huh. and I am um, privileged to work with uh, some rich people, uh-huh. fascinating humans. Um, 99% of them started out that way, and the 1% who didn't, I love with all of my heart and soul. And the 99 who did, that's cool. Um I heard your speech. I felt bad for my teacher friends because <laughs> you called teacher work Monday, and I don't think it's Monday, and I think it's just, it's just got it's just it's standard. It's it's important, terrible but it's standard. Thing. You're you're I know. well. I they make a hundred thousand. I don't know if you don't realize it doesn't get discussed after you've put in a good number. You can make a hundred thousand with full benefits, sure. and you're off for the summers and retirement sure. pans and pensions. You know, I have more sympathy, frankly, for the gypsy professors who make three thousand dollars a course with no benefits, no nothing, and no job security. Marty, is there anything that we can say? Well, I can tell you this, uh, rich people. You seem kind of miserable, and I don't want you to be miserable. I do want you to share your money. Um, 
and I want you to share it with people who might have those mundane jobs. Maybe I can guilt you. Um, but yeah, I went to a really uh, low end. Um, I don't know what to call it. I went to a state school. I'm so grateful, Marty. Were you talking um, to me I particularly or were you talking to rich people in general? Oh, Marty, I love you. you, you I don't, I, I'm talking to the rich people. A couple things, real quick, real quick. I went to a state school that people shame here in San Francisco, which mm-hmm. is a pity. Mm-hmm. And um, I graduated with honors paying the entire time, then went to grad school all on my own dime with phenomenal financial aid, not loans. Mm-hmm. So being poor has some merit to it and some joy. But I do want to say to people, get as much money as you can. If you're left-handed or you have, you're missing a finger or your eye blinks a funny way, like do what you can. Get money you know, for, for education. If education is not your thing, you can, you can be a very happy chef, I hope. You can be, an, like you said, an incredibly, uh, incredible ditch digger. But the piece I want to remind people of is you can get resources super cheap. I got practically free career counseling for mm-hmm. years, mm-hmm. extremely affordable psychotherapy when I was super broke, mm-hmm. and waitressed my way through undergrad and grad. So I have so much hope for the, for the 1% of people who I'm grateful to see who are super, super poor and work their way up. Mazel tov to you. And for the rich guys, you're great to share your wealth. I want to say I'm a little bit about off. that. Yeah, I'll let you, I'll let you get off, off the air. Yeah, okay, cool. Um, rich people, I will tell you personally, I thought she was really talking about me personally because I do have money now because, again, I, was, uh, I don't spend. So, And I've just invested in Vanguard little by little every time I've had it over my entire lifetime. Um, I have, I am giving almost all of my uh, money when I die uh, to, uh, to a charity. Because my kids have good money, and whatever, they're getting some money. But, you know, I really do think that we shouldn't reflexively just give our money to the kids. I think we end up often, especially if your kids are doing okay by themselves, or they're going to end up being entitled and it'll actually make them lazy. Um, think of your where you think there's a charity that you think would do the most good that perhaps is underfunded. I think that's a great thing for rich people to do. Um, and I, I think that it is not so rare, uh, especially the Bay Area may be the most generous place in the world for low-income people. She was giving examples of, of low, free or low-cost psychotherapy or career counseling. But of course, there's housing subsidies and, uh, and food subsidies and transportation subsidies and uh, job retraining subsidies. Um, well, nobody can do it purely by themselves. But I, I'm more worried about the person who thinks that they are consigned to a life of failure because they're low-income. Our community colleges may be our greatest educational treasure. And City College of San Francisco is huge and has enormous numbers of courses, both practical and academic, that are essentially free. Libraries, I'm blessed, I'm blessed, I'm not blessed, I'm not a religious guy. I'm fortunate the San Francisco Public Library always has me come back and give, I give free talks. I get paid a little, but I'm going to be completely honest, but very, very little. But I give free talks at their Coret Auditorium on career stuff. So you can, and it's all free. They have events constantly at the library about everything from LBGTQIA empowerment to, uh, to career stuff, all free. There's a lot that's free. The Internet is functionally free. Even if you can't afford Internet access, the library gives you access to the information of the world, video and text. So, yes, I believe that never maybe before in human history can poor people with drive accomplish a lot. Uh, let's go back to the phones. We have uh, other callers who are reacting to my uh, commencement speeches, uh, my mock commencement speeches. Welcome to work with Marty Nemco. It is your turn on the air. How can I help you? Or what's your Hello? reaction to my talk, that is? Hello? Hi. Hello? Hello, I, you're, uh, you're on. Yes. Okay, well, uh, uh, your Yale uh, Harvard commencement speech, and this, uh, 
I don't think it works that well because I remember graduating from Yale 20, 30 years ago, and I had huge student loans. So what I had to do, you know, you're, just because you graduate from elite universities doesn't mean you have the power yet to do anything. I had to uh, work uh, in jobs I maybe wouldn't have taken if I hadn't gone to that school in order to pay back. So yep, I a lot you. of the large percentage of the people are going to be in that category. And that's the only thing I want to say. Well, the other thing I want to say, I didn't hear the other speech very much except for the end. I didn't appreciate the grave digger reference. I thought maybe if you were actually doing a college uh, uh, class, you wouldn't, you know, talk about grave digging at the uh, commencement speech. Well, they, might, they might have elderly grandparents or whatever they're eh, thinking about. Nah. But <laughs> I, I, I love your comment about the Yale because there is a certain percentage of people who are in that unfortunate middle, in the donut, what they would call. They're too poor to get a lot. Yale, all those fancy schools give a lot of financial aid to the poor uh, and the rich can afford it, but the middle class gets screwed. And they're the ones who end up having to take on that six-figure loan and therefore having to take crap jobs that they wish they didn't have to take. So, yes, and so I tend to agree with you for some subset of that population. Uh, you're right. That we need, I need to mitigate that make a big difference, make a big difference message with the fact that sometimes if you've got that six-figure loan. But I don't agree about the gravedigger. The, the larger issue was not, you know, reminding grandma but that someday she's going to die. The larger issue is that even I tried to pick the lowest level job I could think of, which is ditch digger, and showing how even from that lowly, pardon the pun, place, one could rise if one has the right attitude and approach to moving up. But anyway, I thank you very much for the call. Let's go right back to the phones. Welcome to work with Marty Nemco. It's your turn in the air. What is your reaction to either or both of my uh, mock commencement speeches about career? Hi, Marty. How are you? I am well. What gives me the honor of the call? Um, so I I went to University of Massachusetts Amherst, and uh-huh. that's not essentially an elite school, but I'm hearing a lot about the Bay Area, and I personally agree with you that someone who is, you know, Ivy League, Harvard school education could be paid for, but well, the way that I've been looking at it is that I committed to the Bay Area because I, I believe people who were successful would come with money, who came for money, would give me an opportunity if I could show some kind of drive. And although I've had mediocre success with it, I am back in western Massachusetts feeling a little bit trapped and wanting to maybe go back to the Bay Area and give it another chance. So what is your, your point or question? I just, I, I don't know if that's a reality. I mean, do the elite stay with the elite or do they ever have sort of some level of compassion for um, uh, people from not, you know, uh, graduates from not such elite schools. I Candidly, mean, I'll be really, st- I'm a very straight guy. It's not what school you go to. It really is your intelligence drive and skills. And as I'm listening right. to you, I'm hearing some what are called malaprops, some words that aren't quite the right word. Your reasoning sure. isn't airtight. It's not like sure. you're a genius. There are some people who, no. you know, and so having a realistic self-assessment and applying for jobs where you, your skills, your ability are appropriate and not requiring I'm purely altruism on the part of some rich San Francisco company yeah. is the way to go. So if you were being totally honest with yourself and trusting the wise man within you, what is the kind of work that without requiring charity that somebody should hire you for? I mean, I'm, I'm very realistic about my skill set, and I'm, and I'm pretty good at sales. I'm good with communicating with people with what they need for their business. Um, you know, it's a, I'm a, it's a little late here in the East Coast. I'm a little bit tired, but in general, 
um, I found some success with that. So let's, I'm going to interrupt you. So let's talk about that. You know, I'm obsessed. The older I get, the more I'm obsessed with ethics. So many salespeople are selling crap. They're mm-hmm. selling stuff that isn't really worth the money or doesn't need to be mm-hmm. purchased at all. So let's say I asked you to put your ethical hat on. Well, what I, have, is, I, have a, I have a very deep ethical hat because great. I went to school. At, I, 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 I'm almost like, I feel sometimes very self-defeated because I feel like I'm in goodwill hunting. I know yeah, I can find something wrong with each product based on my exposure to just Massachusetts and San Francisco. So I have a hard time selling something I don't feel is of right. Of course. And so, it's hard. So, so uh, there certainly are some products that I, that I know that are unquestionably worthy. Toyotas are a great car. Whirlpool sure. is a great appliance. Uh, Aren't there two investors in San Francisco called Investing With Your Values? Aren't there two gentlemen from that Bay Area that wrote a whole book on companies that have been vetted for their environmental integrity, et cetera, et cetera? There's a a million good companies. There's nothing, you know, whether it is Cliff Bar or people, you know, we we associate Patagonia with those kind of things. Or I happen to love Pete's Mocha Java Coffee. You know, Pete's Mm -hmm. is not a bad guy. Yes, it's owned by some big conglomerate now, but they sell a good product. And when I sure. go to the supermarket and for six nine seventy nine ninety seven ninety nine a pound, I can sure. get that world blend of Major Dickinson or Mocha Java. So there are a lot of good companies and also nonprofit salespeople who have what you're describing as environmental stewardship kind of values. Mm-hmm. They use their sales skills in a, in a nonprofit they deeply believe in. So if mm-hmm. if you, for example, deeply believe in uh, in tutoring of young cho- of, of young children working for sure. a nonprofit that provides tutoring or a school district and raising money for the, a school district foundation, there is no reason you have to sacrifice your ethics if, as long as you're highly selective in selling. So what I would advise you to do would be if you really want to come to the Bay Area, come to the Bay Area, find cheap housing because that's the killer. If that's you pay well, fair I've, market... I've had seven, seven years of bouncing... Uh, seven years of trying to make the Bay Area work. I would come back to the East Coast defeated, but I'm, I'm feeling a little bit upset that I put so much time into my network there that I don't want to let it go. I don't want to start over in Austin. Well, I don't want to go someplace else, and I'm nervous that I'm going to get buried there again. So uh, is there a reality that I could somehow have a Skype interview and fly out there, invest in myself to go have an interview so I know I have a job? Cheap housing doesn't exist. Again, you're not being quite as smart as you need to be. Cheap okay. housing exists. Five to ten percent of people buy have rent that is well below market value. But you've really? got a network. You've got to really okay. beat the bushes. In terms I know people there. Good. Mm-hmm. And yep. in terms of in terms of jobs, you you're not given who the person who I'm hearing, you're not gonna work for an A level company. You're not, not going to work for Google. You're not going to work no. for Facebook. You're not even no. going to work for the Sierra Club. Uh, you're going to work for a second-tier organization, but that's good enough. It can yeah. enable you to make a good living if you've got low-cost housing. And remember that right now, in the Bay Area especially, the unemployment rate is the lowest in 50 years. I just My got... God. This is from the San Jose Mercury News. The head writer uh, who writes about jobs named George Avalos wrote an article in today's uh, Mercury News. Listen. Sure, I wasn't wrong then. I wasn't wrong because I I still pay attention and I still see the growth. So for me, it doesn't feel like I'm going to get... I've done it before. I know I can pull it off there. And most of my success has come from the Bay Area. And you must... But you must... I'm going to first... I want to read you a few lines from this article. And then I'm going to tell you how you're going to land a job. It's the title is Bay Area and California running out of people to hire. Oh That's the title. 
The job markets, and I'm reading word for word, the job markets in the Bay Area and California are seeing dramatically low unemployment rates. Jerry Nicholsberg, director of Anderson Forecast at UCLA, quote, the state is simply running out of people to be employed. Unemployment rates have been driven to record or near record low levels, which in turn shrinks the pool of people available to be hired. In April, the Bay Area jobless rate was 2.7%. Only slightly above the record low, 2.6%. Those lowest level records occurred multiple times in 2018. And non-farm payroll jobs were expected to increase further by 1.4% in 2019 and 0.8% in 2020, the report projected. So your timing is right, but to get a good job, you need to not over overreach in terms of the level of job, and you must use that network again and again, to get a good sales job for a good second-tier company. And awesome. then and then in, the, in your application letter, and importantly in the interviews, you need to not sound like a know-it-all, like your hot stuff, but right. that you do your homework to prepare, know a lot right. about the product. Actually, in the interview, if you're, for example, let's say you're interviewing to try to be a fundraiser, then go and demonstrate how you would pitch for money if you were giving a talk to a group of people who are potential donors. Be prepared if you do that and do it diligently and work hard. I am betting that you will find low-cost housing, be one of the 10%, and that you will find a job that will pay enough that you can afford to live in that low-cost housing in the Bay Area. And with that, I wish you the best of luck. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Thanks for calling work with Marty Namco. Okay, uh, that's a good time for me to give out the phone number. If you or someone you care about has got a work-related problem, unemployed, well-employed and still unhappy, whether it's in the for-profit sector, non-profit sector, government, self-employed, have a business idea you want to run by me, I'm a shark tank with a little bit less sharp teeth, the phone number here, work with Marty Nemco, NKALW, 415-841-4134. That's 415-841-4134. Okay, now, as promised at the top of the show, um, I've assembled a list of contrarian career ideas. Um, you know, so much of the career advice is standard, same old, same old, same old. You should network and, you know, you really have to have a good LinkedIn profile and, you know, make sure your posture is good and be upbeat and positive. You know, you don't need to hear that crap. You've heard it again and again and again. So I've assembled 15 contrarian career ideas that nonetheless, with my 5,500 clients that I've had over the last 30 years, that I believe are, nothing always works, but that are generally wise to consider and are what I would call under-considered. I'm going to start with a few that are about choosing a career. First of all, and this is the opposite of self-serving because I'm a career counselor, choosing needn't be so complicated. For example, there's no need to see a career counselor to take the strong interest inventory because your interests map insufficiently with your skills, and importantly, they map insufficiently with the availability of jobs. You may be interested in the environment. You may have, you know, your, your skill may be being organized, but a million people are interested in the environment, and a million people are organized, and there just aren't that many good jobs. Nor need you take the Myers-Briggs type indicator. It has shockingly poor predictive validity, especially given its popularity. And, you know, I, it's not good radio for me to give citations, but for any of you who would like to see the data behind this, when I say that Myers-Briggs is more of a horoscope than a test, email me, and I am, I am very good at responding. 
I will send you the citations that definitively show how poor the Myers-Briggs is in terms of its validity. My email address is mnemco, that's M as in Mary, and then my last name, Nemco, mnemco, which is N-E-M-K-O, that's mnemco at comcast.net. Okay. Nor need you harangue people until they give you an informational interview. You know those interviews where you're trying to get information about a job, but you're really hoping they'll hire you? First of all, it's really hard to get that those these days. People are ever busier, and they've been hit up for them too many times, unless you're a really close friend. It's usually better to spend one hour browsing the 250 careers that are profiled in the book, the Occupational Outlook Handbook, which is free online, Occupational Outlook Handbook, just Google it, or the 340 career dossiers that I have in my book, Careers for Dummies, and then filter prospective careers based on whether they simply use your core attribute or two. Are you a word person? Are you a people person? Are you a science technology person, what they call a STEM person? Are you uh, an entrepreneurial type person? Are you an office detail person? Just those few broad categories are about as precise as you need to be. Then supplement that little reading of the Occupational Outlook Handbook or my Careers for Dummies with a Google search, including videos on prospective careers like counseling careers, and you have more wisely chosen a career than do most people. It doesn't need to be complicated. So that's point one. Point two, uh, conventional advice is to, you know, you really shouldn't pick your career too early. Wait till you finish college or whatever. The unconventional career idea I'd like to share with you is to pick early. That can provide focus for your undergraduate education and for your networking. Plus, even if you decide to change careers, you will get more clues on where to pivot from having tried something than if you remain undecided. I can't tell you how many people come to my office, my career counseling office, having in their mid-20s or even their 30s or 40s, and they just haven't really picked. They keep dabbling. Much better to pick. It really is like you're at the top of a mountain and there's a bunch of different paths down to the mountain and it's frigid and it's cold and you have no food and water. If you just stand there trying to figure out which one to pick, you're far less likely to get to the happy village at the bottom of the of the mountain than if you pick one, go down the path, and you may see some path you didn't see, or it may be a lovely path, and worst case, it's a horrible path and it's a steep cliff with ice. You can always then scramble back up. Pick early. Also, picking early means you will have developed some specific expertise, which often yields skills that, even if you switch careers, could be transferable. If you just do nothing, you're dabbling around, you're not going to have expertise in anything, and therefore, if you try to get some change to some other career, you won't be able to speak to having real expertise. All right, we'll go to the phones. I'll give out the phone number, though. If you've got a work-related problem, the phone number here at Work With Marty and Emco, 415-841. 4134, that's 415 841 4134. And to the phones. Welcome to the show. It's your turn on the air. How can I help you? Hello. Hey, Marty. Hi. Hey, I'm a big fan of the show. Thank you. And I do want to just drop a couple of suggestions for first time job hunters. Great. I have now reached my 60th year, uh-huh. and I've had about eight different careers. Uh-huh. And about six of them I started out as a temp. So okay. I, want, I wanted to throw that out there for people. Uh, I was a liberal arts major in college, didn't really know what I wanted to do, and I just kind of began to test the waters and have built a really amazing kind of resume, and right now I think I'm doing the best work of my life, and when people kind of 
around me are thinking about retiring and whatnot, I keep thinking about, my God, I could be working until I'm 70, and that's very feasible where I work now. So So let me ask you a couple of questions. Let me probe this a bit. Uh, Studies are clear that only one out of 10 temp get become permanent, so you must have either worked extra hard or schmoozed or done whatever. What have you done to do a five who have defied the odds and gone from being a temp to being the one out of 10 who became a perm? I think in a way, uh, just showing a willingness probably to do more than the job required, uh, just a real keen interest and curiosity, and just sort of overwhelming people with enthusiasm. I know it sounds hokey and hammy and whatnot, but I'm a second-generation American on my dad's side, and I'm just amazed every day by getting up and seeing a dishwasher work or you know, getting on the bus and seeing everybody kind of doing their part. And I carry that enthusiasm into my job every day. You know what I really like about that? I've been, this segment is all about contrarian career ideas, but the truth is that the most potent ones are very often the conventional. As corny as it sounds, being bright, yeah. enthusiastic, uh, finding the positive, uh, those, those things are ending up being our absolutely core. One more question for you. You said you've had eight careers. It's normally very difficult for people to, con- to c- change careers. They try to convince people in the new career that, oh, my previous career had some transferable skills. What did you do that enabled you to convince people? Now, here you're going to a new career. You did it eight times. Uh, that despite the fact you had no experience and all you were trying to sell was your transferable skills, how did you so often convince somebody to hire you for that new for that first job in a new career well part of it was making a decision probably in career number four to repackage myself and i had been at an organization for a while where i kind of came up to the ranks starting out in kind of an admin operations position and then ending up in kind of a highly supervisory director position then i made a lifestyle change and so as i repackaged myself i kind of thought about what is it I really like to do and want to do? And that was more of the executive assistant side of mm. former jobs. So, so I really you, started. Yeah. Right? So, so tell me, so what, so what was your former self and what was the re- repackaged self? Describe the what former, kind of job, what kind of career? Sure. The former self, I think, when I look at the, the last real significant career was with a telecom company about 12 years, was working as a director and managing a team across the U.S., and all the different time zones doing big sort of strategic initiatives, rolling them out. Mm -hmm. And the repackaging was now I am a senior executive assistant at a financial institution and doing several different kinds of things, anything from project management to Outlook calendar management to learning about budgets, contract RFPs, and all that stuff. Now, question, uh, another one. Forgive me for, for interviewing you like you were a guest on the show. There is a, a, a growing sentiment, especially here in the Bay Area, that the financial services industry are the big evils, except maybe for Vanguard, that they're greedy, that all they care about is money, and they're, they're making the rich richer and the poor poorer. How do, you, how do you, as an insider, how do you feel about working in the financial services industry? Well, I have to tell you, I work for a nonprofit. We are a nonprofit for the public good. Uh-huh. And I came from a for-profit banking background. Mm-hmm. So the transition is, is very eye-opening for me as mm-hmm. well. Mm-hmm. Having always had to look at the bottom line, having always had to scrutinize all our costs and be very sort of you know, bottom line focused, this is a very different environment, Marty. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And I'm I'm proud to say it's the Federal Reserve Bank of San Francisco. I see. Cool. And so, last thing, you said you made eight eight transitions. What were your eight careers? My eight careers. I started out working for an import exporter uh-huh. uh, in South San Francisco. I then segued into interior and exterior landscaping. Huh. Okay. And then I went into the financial services industry, a pension management uh, division of Bank of America. Uh huh. And I went into retail. I was the operations manager for Tiffany and Company. Uh-huh. <laughs> then I went into telecom, okay. and I worked for Pac Bell, <laughs> the Bata Bell, and then that transitioned into SBC Communications, and then eventually came back to be AT and T. Yeah, and and then you moved into this nonprofit banking, thing, the Federal Reserve. You mean the? Well, government. I took a little break. I took a little break after telecom, and then uh-huh. I went back into finance, uh-huh. for profit finance, and uh-huh. then kind of. Some are retired again and then back into my new position at the Fed. What did you do during your break? I actually traveled a little bit. I worked on a condo that I own here in San Francisco, did some writing, uh-huh. and uh, just sort of got back in touch with self. What would you write? I write poetry. Good. Read me a poem. Yeah. You got a poem for me to read? You got a poem to read? Short I don't. One. I don't. I don't have one handy, sorry. All right. Anyway, you are an absolutely honored member of the Work With Marty Nemco workforce, and I'm really glad you called. Thank you, Marty. Keep up the good work. I do my best. Take care and be well. All right. If you've got a work-related problem, um, uh, he was great. He gave us great advice. I think he was a pleasure to deal with, of course. Uh, if you have a work-related problem, I'll do my best to help you. The phone number here at Work With Marty Nemco, 415-841-4134. That's 415-841-4134. In between your calls, what I'm doing is I'm offering uh, what I call contrarian career ideas. Um, the next one I want to share is that getting into tech is risky. Yeah. Software engineering is in demand now, but it is not easy to get competent and stay competent. Employers are often rejecting graduates of even prestigious coding boot camps as having insufficient skills. Those employers are offering prefer to hire software engineers in the U.S. who are experienced and those in low-cost Asia, despite the language and cultural challenges. And really, indeed, any job in which the work product can be sent over the Internet will, over your career's arc, over your work span, be subject to offshoring. So it would be rather ironic to go through all that hard training to become an expert at, you know, a big data analysis and coding, etc., to find that ever more of the jobs are, are offshored and your salary is either really low or, or even non-existent. It may, and I'm underlining the word may here, be wiser to focus on high-satisfaction careers that are offshore-resistant. From, if you're a computerish person, from network administrator to a robotic technician, from dentist to hair cutter. Uh, all right, I've got plenty more, but um, let's, go, let's go to the phones. I do always want to prioritize you. Again, phone number if you have a work-related problem, 415-841-4134. That's the number here at Work with Marty Nemco for what I call a workover with no pummeling involved, usually. Okay, welcome to the show. It's your turn on the air. How can I help you? Hi, uh, yes, Marty. I, uh, <laughs> I currently work for the Employment Development Department, uh-huh. so I'm quite familiar with your statistics. Right. By the uh, way, for people who don't know, the Employment Development Department is California's what would be called the Unemployment Office. Correct. Okay, go ahead. And, you know, I've been at it for a while, um, a, a 10 years, and I, I'm wanting out. Not that I necessarily want to leave government, but I'm, I, I've had it uh, working, with, um, working with people. And I want to move back to L.A. 
I have a master's degree in communication, and I'm I just I'm having a hard time trying to figure out what I want to do. Okay. Well, normally people who are wanting to work in communications, who want to stay in government, keep that California member of STIR, of, of PERS or whatever, so you've got that pension, you've been there over 10 years, would be working. They, there are communication departments in every agency. And so, especially if you're not so people-centric, there's a lot of writing that goes on in the communication departments, whether it be writing for the consumer, writing for the media, writing for the government, writing reports. I'm wondering whether you should be looking at the various state government agencies that are based in L.A. since you want to move to L.A. and look for agencies, state agencies, again, so there's reciprocity in your, in your retirement plan, and look for jobs. You know, there, you know if you go to jobs.ca.gov, uh, that's the California state uh, website for for job for government jobs, and search on terms like communication, writing, research, reports. You'll find various jobs in which that kind of uh, communication skill is important, but it isn't so people centric. Does that make sense? No, it makes sense. I mean, I, I'm familiar. I, I onet online. dot net. You know, there's a lot of good resources. Yes. I'm just drawing a blank. I mean, and I do know that, you know, writing, you have to have good writing skills for communication. I mean, I am a good writer. It's just I haven't really found anything that, like, wows me yet. I'm going to be candid. In general, there's... There, I've said this many times. There's a, almost a Bay Area mantra that you should you should be passionate about your job. In general, most people are... Most people who are satisfied with their work is about as good as it gets. And, but if you get the right boss... And you do it, you become a craftsman at what you do in the writing, and you enjoy your coworkers, and then you have a rich out of work life. That's about as good as life gets. If you're waiting for an orgasm before you apply for a job, you're going to be waiting for Godot. I would, I would be encouraging you to look at the range of jobs that are available that would use the, that writing skill, the communication skill. State and federal jobs, they love degrees because they want to be as objective as they can, so they honor people who have degrees. You've got a man, not just a bachelor's in communication, but a master's. You're already inside the system. So I would encourage you to look either within EDD. EDD would be the easiest way to make the the, the case that you deserve to get hired um, in L.A., but in a non-people-serving job. Because I can understand if you're dealing with unemployed people, especially in a time which, as I was reading from the uh, Mercury News, we're at a, at a period of record unemployment, low unemployment, and so you're, you're, the people who are coming to you, let's say, have, you know, they're, they're maybe not the, 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 the sharpest tools of the shed or not the best adjusted, and so I could see where you could burn out dealing with people. But it doesn't mean that a, a job, even within the same agency in the city that you want to live in, couldn't be very felicitous. But don't expect the orgasm, for starters. You may, it's like in dating. You know, you could see a beautiful person across the room, and you're still not going to have an orgasm. You've got to talk to her. You've got to go out. You've got to go slow, and eventually you'll have the orgasm. And I feel that's that way about, about the work thing. Does that make sense? Yes, it does. All right. I thank you for calling Work with Marty Nemco. Thank we you. we got lots of calls on the line, so again, I like to prioritize you. I have many more of these contrarian career ideas, but let's go right back to the phones. Welcome to Work with Marty Nemco. It's your turn on the air. How can I help you? Are you there? Hello. Hi. Hi, Marty. Yes. Oh, first time caller, long time listener. Thank you. Thanks for taking my call. I appreciate it. Pleasure. So here is my my situation. I work for a large media conglomerate mm-hmm. in media sales. Right. Been doing it 
30 years. For people who don't know what media sales means, you're selling advertising on whether it be TV or radio or web on the web. Correct. Okay. Correct. Large company, large key accounts, you know, annual billings and the, you know, multi-million. But uh, my organization, what, what they've done is they structure some of these accounts they call house accounts. As they hire people, they roll these accounts out. So because of my experience, having done this 30 years and my relationships, I've been assigned a lot of these house accounts, which I don't get paid on. Right. House accounts are, right, are ones that are owned not by an individual salesperson, but are kind of owned by the, by the organization itself, which is a ripoff Correct. of the sales guy. I know. It's disgusting. One of the many right. ways they screw salespeople. They, they tighten your territory. They lower your commissions. They raise your quotas. They create house accounts. They're, they're, they're disgusting at times. Yeah, precisely. So, so I guess I'm, I'm, I'm wondering, and it's maybe more of a legal question, what my recourse is. I don't have a contract. I'm an at-will employee, yeah. uh, but mm-hmm. I, I'd like to think I'm, I'm highly valued because, mm-hmm. you know, I, I've been with this company for a, a fairly long time, but this, you know, I'm seeing this kind of playbook that they've got right. of these key accounts. I'm just not wanting to pay. So I don't know if I have recourse. Well, I wouldn't go the recourse for. I want to find out what you did first with the, you know, the the soft approach. First of all, have you had a conversation with your boss about this? I have. And what does your boss say? I have say? had it. And what does your boss say? Well, basically, the the response was, you know, I, I, I basically tried to lay it out as what my value is, and tried to lay out, hey, here are the things I've I've accomplished. Here are the goals I've hit. Right. And you know, Carter said, how do I rank against my my colleagues, and they felt very threatened by that thing. You know, that was sort of screw you know, them. They have questioned. a right to feel they should feel threatened. But to, to, what did they do? They just blew you off. Yes, essentially. And what what wound up happening is after a couple of years on these key accounts, and it was it was about uh, close to six figures in commission. Wow. They hired somebody and uh, moved the accounts off me, with mm. the clients complaining at these large agencies, saying, you know, we've known this person for a very long time, we want to work with them, and they still pulled it from me. But I wasn't getting paid on it, so I was happy to have the relief. So I, you know, I did try that approach and was sort of, you know, not, uh, it was not looked on favorably. Like, I was ungrateful for what I had. Let me, I know you've and, been, you couldn't have been more loyal. You've been there damn 30 years, and they, and it sounds like they've, you know, and, and again, I, I don't know the particulars, but from what you're saying, it sounds like they really screwed you. And if that's true, what what has kept you from not looking to go to one of your competitors? You've got apparently a good track record. What's kept right. you from saying, screw you, I'm going to go to one of your competitors? Well, it's 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 sort of the fear of the unknown. Now, I haven't, I've been in, in this market in San Francisco for close to 30 years. Which is I've huge. been with this company close to about seven years. I've been with a couple other properties here okay. uh, for a long time. Uh, but I, I just, it's the fear of the unknown, I suppose, has kept me from doing it. So the answer is there is nobody's asking you to quit. I, you know, you have all these years, you've built relationships. What if you quietly, you know, and because you can never guarantee that they're not going to go back to your boss. But what if you quietly make some confidential inquiries, either with headhunters in your space or with client agencies in your space or directly to somebody who is the sales director or sales manager for this territory at your competitors to see what your viability is? You may find that they don't want anything to do with you. Ageism or, you know, you did that years ago, your, 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 your Rolodex is stale. Or they can say, wow. Come on, we'd be happy. We, you were really screwed by this. I can't believe they made those all house accounts. 
you know, you could find yourself that somebody wants to hire you for a better job immediately, and then you don't have to be afraid of the unknown. It becomes the known. What if I said I want you to make some quiet, confidential inquiries? I think that's a great strategy. Cool. I think that's exactly what I need to do. There you go. Okay. Thanks for calling work with Marty Emco. Thanks, Marty. Okay. I want to make sure I keep my promise to you, so I'm, I'm not even going to give out the phone number anymore. I want to make sure I get through these 15 career contrarian career ideas because I think they can be of help to you. The next one I want to share is this. And this is going to sound like a preacher, but it's the truth, or a motivational speaker, but it's the truth, and it's kind of contrarian. Happiness comes mainly from within. Of course, National Geographic photographers are more likely to love their career than as an iron worker in a clanging factory. But there are plenty of people who stew in cool careers and plenty of people in mundane careers who are content. Focusing on a sexy or particularly remunerative job is often not worth the price because you're ending up very often foregoing a more ethical job or more creative job. It's, I swear, it's better to choose a career that's stable, ethical, and reasonable paying than something cool. And those are much easier to find and succeed in in a not cool career because there's less competition. And in the end, so many people, and it's easier said than done, people are as happy as they choose to be. Some of it is our genetics. I'm a sad person by nature. It's who I am. Coming on the radio is one of those rare times I just I'm, an, I'm another person when, I, when the microphone comes on. But normally I'm kind of a sad guy. But within the limits of my genetics, within who I am, because I am exactly like my father... I nonetheless try, and I'm not a Christian, but to try to, that Christian gratitude thing is a good thing, to look for opportunities to find happiness within. If I, had, if I, had a, I have clients who complain about their boss terribly, I have a client who works at UC Berkeley. She's got a very cush job. She works in a very nice, a prestigious department at UC Berkeley. And she's, got, and she's not having to have to work very hard. She works like 15 hours a week and gets paid for 40. And she's bitching about the uh, about the uh, about her boss, who's who's a micromanager, an authoritarian. Whereas instead, she should be focusing on, and we've worked on this, on finding with the rest of her forty hours. She does all kinds of cool things she could do to distract herself from her micromanaging boss, and let her capitulate. So, so her boss micromanages and asks her to account for more of her time. So, some of it really is that happiness comes from within. Very often when people change their career or they change their geography, think they need a fresh start, they bring their misery with them. Happiness comes mainly from within. Next, contrarian career idea. Uh, That's a positive one. This is a negative one. Changing careers is harder than many career counselors and books imply. Yes, the previous caller made eight careers, career changes, because he was unusually personable, nice, smart, etc. But most people are normal. They're not supremely different. They're not supremely better. And so unless you are very bright and prepossessing and well-connected, it is tough to convince an employer to hire you for a decent job over somebody who has significant experience. And these days, with employers getting dozens, if not hundreds of applications for a good job, merely by placing an online ad, that would-be career changes, chances are small, even in this period of unprecedented low unemployment. And that's true even if the would-be career changes follow that standard advice that I just said a few minutes ago to tout those transferable skills. So the most likely prescription for managing your career malaise is often, not always, to make peace with the career choice you've made and then tweak it 
rather than change it, and then to try to keep growing incrementally uh, in your skills or your attitude. One more of these contrarian career ideas in, that are related to choosing a career. Also, it's it, it kind of a corollary of the previous one. Running your own business is harder than the gurus would intimate. Regulations are complex and costly, and unless you have deep pockets and can afford to outsource most tasks, you've got to be competent at many things, from sourcing products to sourcing customers, selling, government compliance, even IT and bookkeeping. You also have to be a self-starter. No one's going to push you to work. But the meter is always running. The cash is always burning. And then there's the opportunity cost of what you could have been doing had you been working for somebody else. So certainly we all have that. The, 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 it feels great to, to run, say, I'm running my own business. I can you know control things. But it really is harder than the gurus would have you believe. I think I have time for one more. This is just, um, I want to end on a kind of a, a positive one. Um, I want to, let's see what I want to do. Yeah, I like this one so much, micro break. Stress builds on the job. And so really frequently taking two-minute walk breaks are more helpful than cramming all of your de-stressing into 20-minute meditations, let alone week-long vacations, after which you return to the stress-increasing work that piled up on you on vacation. So give yourself lots of breaks, little breaks. One more. I call this one Quick Mine Your Past. Whatever lessons can be mined from reviewing your past's dark events usually can be learned from just a bit of journaling. Journaling is the most potent and empowering self-help tool. From that point of just a bit of journaling, it's wiser to focus on suppressing those sad experiences and always taking that next baby step forward. Uh, That can sometimes substitute for a hell of a lot of counseling and therapy and, and, and so on. I have a bunch more, but um, I guess I have time for one more. Um, Embrace your imposter syndrome, especially in the beginning of a career. Having just finished university training, which usually is heavily theoretical, you're likely to feel like an imposter. Instead of succumbing to feel-good nostrums from friends or motivational gurus who say, you're wonderful just as you are, Use your fear of being and getting discovered as an imposter to fuel you to do more practical learning. Watch masters in action, or at least talk with them about tough situations you're encountering. Use Google search to find practical articles. Watch videos that address um, your current problem. That's just-in-time learning. Play around on your professional association's website. Attend local chapter meetings, maybe the national conference, and consider specializing. No one can be expert in everything. So rather than suppress the imposter syndrome, embrace it so you can grow and not be an imposter. And that is Work with Marty Nemco for this week. I do want to thank my border operator, Joanne Marr, and of course all of you for listening and calling in. Calls are great. Please join me again next Thursday at 7. You can call in for a workover. Plus, my wife, Barbara Nemco, and I are going to talk about Pulitzer Prize, Goris Kearns Goodwin's new book, Leadership. Until then, this is Marty Nemco reminding you that we find comfort among those who agree with us, growth among those who don't.